Isaiah chapter 43 this evening. Creator, Owner, and Lord is the title of this evening's consideration. Now this chapter serves the reader well if they read it out loud. So maybe when you get a chance sometime tonight, tomorrow, the week to come, you read this 43rd chapter out loud because it is a catechism in microcosm. It's a miniature doctrinal statement packed into this chapter concerning the Jewish faith. And you would think, with such chapters as this, that the Jewish people would have been far more evangelical. And to this day, there's no outreach coming out of of Judaism, nothing to talk about. And these things are... Uh, there's weight behind uh, these op- these kinds of observations. In this chapter, just, and I'll only say a few of them, we have the eyes of God. There are 32 of them in this chapter. And I'll just cover a few. There are 10 I haves. I'll just do a few. I have redeemed you, verse 1. I have called you by your name. I have loved you. I have created. I have formed. I have made. Then there are ten I wills. I'll take two of them. I will be with you. I will not remember your sins. I like that one. Then there are eight I am's. And it's really I, but to make it work in the English, you have to put the M there. Uh, otherwise, it would be I Uh, I with you. That's not right. I am with you. Okay, we get that. But the Hebrew doesn't require it. So, uh, I I am Yahweh, your God. I am with you. And then two more bonus I's. I work, I give. And again, there's 32 of them in this chapter, and it means a lot to the reader. And as you read out loud, it becomes more clear, more meaningful, I think. Well, let's get right to the first verse, because we have quite a bit here. But now, thus says Yahweh, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I'll get to the part that tells us that these superlative blessings from God, all blessings from God are superlative, but these blessings from God to the Jewish people as a people, uh, many of them are for us too, the personal ones. Some of them really aren't too much for us, and there aren't many of them, but for instance, if my people will, you know, face this temple, and you know, that that one's really for Israel. Uh, We we have others that that match it. But anyway, that's um, neither here nor there. What is here is that... um, God, in connection to chapter 42, the last verse, God has noticed that um, they didn't take him seriously. And so he says, but, that disjunctive, connective, uh, but now, thus says the Lord. He says, I notice you didn't take me seriously, wanting to war with me. And he says, but the one who created you, O Jacob, I've got some things to say, and this is what this 43rd chapter is about. It will continue into chapter 44. And where he says, who created you, O Jacob? Well, that is so typical of divinity. 
Uh, God is the creator. I'm going to open that Hebrew word up later too. But Jacob here in context, these are the Israelites, and they are being reminded that they don't have anything to boast as a people. It's not like, well, you know, we were more, we were better than the Amalekites, and God loved us more than the Edomites, and that is not the case. And God used, of course, Abraham as his platform to select a people. It had to be somebody for Messiah to come from, and it was the descendants of Abraham, because Abraham was a faithful man. And neither their origins, their ancestry, or their spiritual leaders uh, caused them to be special. God caused them to be special. The same for everybody. Uh, if you are a blessing as a Christian, it is because God has blessed you. And we love it that it's that way. Because uh, what we could say is that God doesn't need us, but he wants us. And to do things, he has deputized us. He's invited us. And it won't get done without us. He has arranged this. He has not delegated the gospel, not yet, to angels, but to sinners. So it's, it's, this, um, it's quite a blend. It's quite a doing of, of the Lord. But with creatorship, where he says, I created you, O Jacob, with creatorship comes the rights of lordship. I made you, I own you. If you make something and somebody takes it from you, you there's a big problem there, is there not? God is the creator. And he is, he has the right to be Lord. Well, what kind of Lord is he? Well, the Bible tells us about his character so that we won't be afraid of him, revere him highly. With lordship comes rights of ownership and love because of who he is, because of his character. Now, the world's landscapes may change, but the ownership does not. If man were able to nuke the planet, he's not going to be allowed to do that. But if he could, it still would be God's planet, and that's why they're not going to be able to do it. He is sovereign. And he who forms you, O Israel. Well, creation is the making, and forming is the shaping. And he is calling... Uh, the calling is the working it out. He, for, he, he created, he formed. That's where we are so far. God makes the clay, he shapes the clay, and then he uses the clay. And there you have the Lord creating and forming and making this process. And we learn how much God loves us as Christians by how much he loves Israel. Now, maybe you're going through a lot of, maybe you've gone through a lot of drama in your life, a lot of hardship, and you think God doesn't love you because you've set the terms of love. And when you come to Christ, you've got to give him time. For some of us, it's instant. We get it. The lights turn on. We get it. For others, it's a, it's a slower process to jettison the baggage, to, get, to forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead in Christ Jesus. But it all has to do with God's love for us. And we again, we learn how much God loves us by how he loved Israel. That's why we love the Old Testament. We see ourselves in it. And you get that out of the New Testament. Romans 9, 21. Does not the potter have power over the clay? Yes, because he made the clay, he shaped the clay as God, and he uses the clay. 
If he makes a jug, he uses the jug. But he created the clay that he shaped into that vessel. None could claim that the Jewish people concocted a plan and then carried it out to be the people of God. Nobody, so that's why God lays it out from the foundations of the world and he goes back to their history. Uh, He says, science didn't do that. You didn't do that. I did this. And thus the power of prophecy, which the world doesn't want to hear. Trying to trivialize scripture. Oh, it's just a myth. Those stories aren't true. Yeah, well, then what do you do with the prophecies that we see coming to pass? Well, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Now, the word redeemed is goel in the Hebrew. As we came across this one in chapter 41, if you know the story of Ruth, Boaz, that's that. That's a bad name in a good way. It's a, it, I, you got to love that name. I, I would like to show the word Boaz is here. And anyway, Boaz was to Ruth uh, one who looked out for her. One who provided for her and protected her. He paid for her and Naomi. He was the redeemer, the goel. Christ is, of course, he's a type of the coming Christ, the Messiah. Ruth chapter 4 verse 9. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day. I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's. From the hand of Naomi, he purchased it. He was the kinsman redeemer, the next in line. Well, the next in line waived his right, and it fell to Boaz. And uh, so that story of Ruth is a precursor to the plan of salvation on the cross. So we have a redeemer. With God's redemption, always there is God's God's love. Because he doesn't have to do it. What's his motive? Why would he want us in heaven? I mean, do you you wake up in the morning? Well, God's going to get a bargain out of me. No, it's love. God is love. And uh, we we define love in different ways. But ultimately, agape love, spiritual love, is not, uh, it's, it's made in heaven. It is the only love that is made in heaven. Uh, You can find traits of other types of love, love for, uh, sports or love for a profession, love for people or love for a loved one, family members. Those are other types of love, lesser loves, but but not uh, trivial at all. Uh, But the agape is one that comes from the throne of God to the born again. I have called you by your name. Uh, God named Israel, and by so doing, he assigned their role. Name is nature with God, in Scripture, Israel was first Jacob. And Genesis 32, 28, and he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. This was after a wrestling match with God. And God claimed ownership of Jacob. And he changed his name. And it wasn't a nickname, it was an assigned name. An elevated name. And he had gone from the heel catcher, Jacob, to Governed by God, under God rule. And of course, the God would have been the God of Abraham, uh, not the God of the pagans. And essentially, paganism is very much alive today. You know, the uh, environmental terrorists, that arsonists, you know, set fires because they're going to save the planet. That, that's paganism. Paganism is the worship of created things, the worship of creation. They used to dance around the star, you know, before the stars, dance around fires and call upon the powers of the universe. That's paganism. 
whereas um, hedonism is more lover of this, the pleasures of the flesh, and with no interest in the spirit. Well, I have called you, he says, and you know, when you name a child, you, you look for a noble name. Uh, we don't name, uh, uh, typically, there have been a few glitches here and there, but you don't, no one names their kid, not in America, at least not to my knowledge, Hitler, because you, don't want, you want no association with the history that made that name uh, so prominent in, 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 you know, in, in a bad way. But other names, you know, Joshua, David, you know, Paul, you, these are names you, that you, you hope that, that no, some, some of that noble character will rub off on your child. The name is nature. And God says, I have called you by your name. I have an expectation that you will be governed by me. I will be the controlling force in your life. That's what the a definition of God is that controlling force in one's life. Even if you failed to meet the standard, that's what you aspire to. He says, you are mine. Well, of course, more than a parent, he's the creator, God Almighty. And um, this comes, this is ownership. You are mine. I created you. It's ownership. And uh, uh, he has the rights. Lordship is what happens after that. Hopefully in cooperation. And the, to be possessed by God and benefit from his redemptive powers, which is finalized in eternity. And that requires faith, which we would call trust. And uh, God says, I'm going to make this life worth it. But you've got to get to me. And it's very simple. You've got to believe in my son. Verse, 40, uh, verse 2 now. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. And Jonah would have said, Amen. The waters, the waters will not overflow you, though he did slush around a bit. Uh, the, the first application is to Israel as a nation and her existence. The precedence, of course, is crossing Yam Suf with uh, you know, the Red Sea when the, the, the sea parted, the Sea of Reeds parted, and the Jewish people passed through. But it's a much broader meaning than that. The real, the, the first meaning is Israel always survives. Always. No matter what fire they go through, no matter what flood they go through, they're going to be here. Can't say that of everybody. Uh, you, again, you won't meet a Canaanite. They're gone. The, and, and they were not as subject as the Jewish people to genocide as the Jewish people were. Israel's survival is guaranteed by God and his presence. Because he says, I will be with you. When you pass through the waters, and there's one of those I wills, I will be with you. Very personal. And we see this illustrated in Paul's survival and arrival in Rome in Acts chapter 27-28. He goes through this storm. He's like Israel, going through this storm, suffers shipwreck, but he survives. Then he gets, you know, a viper latches onto him. He survives. and But finally, he gets to Rome. Uh, and you can, again, see an illustration there. There's so many, you know, this is one of the beautiful things about illustrations is they make their point 
if you don't abuse them. If you abuse them, then it shuts down. And the point only goes far as it needs to go in a given situation. As he said to the church, so he says to Israel. So it is with all his people. I said earlier that these promises, this love on Israel applies to the church. And you have to use the Bible to back that up. Well, in the New Testament, to the church, to Christians, albeit Christian Jews particularly, but it applies to all Christians, Paul quotes, For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, Jesus said that, of course, to his apostles before um, he ascended. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. This recalls the Red Sea and the Jordan crossings. Uh, Companionship with God. Communion with God is not what the natural man wants when faced with fire and flood. They want rescue. But the Christian, of course, we want rescue too, but not at the cost of our faith. Otherwise, we'd never stand for persecution. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Shall any of these knock out my faith? No, it's hopefully going to be our, our answer and our response. There's more. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be per- burned. Clearly, there's a more profound meaning than surviving a, a pyre of flame. Tyndale, Jan Hus... They say, it is so. Where are they now? What did fire do to those men? They were burned at the stake. Because they believed in the scripture. What did the fire do? It took them to heaven. I mean, where are you going to find a deal like that? The Oxford martyrs, Hugh Latimer, uh, you know, uh, Ridley and, and Cranmer, burned at the stake, alive. Well, they went to heaven. Men's bodies can burn by... But their souls don't have to burn. And so this is a broader meaning to everything. So you have the, if you have the immediate meaning. Isaiah is saying, Israel, nothing's going to happen to you. You're going to survive as a, as a people, as a nation. Not as individuals. They're going to they're suffer the curse. Well, to the church, to the Christian, it has its genuine application. There's no stretch here. I don't need to come along to pull this to where I want it to go. There's clearly a greater application, and I'm going to come to that, from Scripture. Nor shall the flame scorch you. Will the righteous of God hold this testimony, such as Daniel 3? These promises extend, as I've been saying, beyond the Jewish people. Look at verse 7 in Isaiah 43. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Now you tell me, when you became a Christian, did you not feel the hand of the potter shaping you into the likeness of Christ in spite of yourself and repeating the process and cleansing you, recurrent cleansing, not a one-time pop, but Anytime it's needed, the blood of Christ, Christ cleanses from all sin. And if it weren't so, it would not have used the word all. It was, ah, he cleanses sometimes. He cleanses when he's in the mood. He cleanses if you don't mess up too much. And none of that. And this is why Satan hates the church so much. In Hebrews, when it talks about the martyrs, it says others, still others. There were boatloads of them. 
And what about me? I ask myself, when, it, when life comes tumbling down, will the flame, will it scorch me? Will it really, will it burn deep enough to cause me to abandon my God? May it never be so. Well, he's going to never leave me nor forsake me. So I don't fret about those kind of things. I am a strong believer that when persecution, when physical or economic, whatever persecution comes, God fits us for that. And it's uh, sort of like a spare tire. You don't need it till you need it. Uh, and, uh, but you, need to have, you want to have it there. And now it comes in a can. Actually, you can just... Anyway, <laughs> a lot easier to change. Verse 3, For I am Yahweh your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba, in your place. Verse 4, Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored. And I have loved you, therefore I will give men for you and people for your life. The audacity of this prophet saying these things while Assyria is rattling her sword every day just to the north. He trusted God. He didn't, you know, you're either focused on Antichrist or Jesus Christ. It's up to you. And Isaiah is one that was focused on his God. It's an unmistakable declaration it added to the advantage of Israel. Well, Paul in Romans says, What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Mainly because to them were committed the scriptures, the oracles of God. But here's another advantage. That God bypassed helping other nations, but did not bypass helping Israel. We can confirm this verse in, from history. The Persians, who took over Babylon, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar was, Bab was a Babylonian king, and he is the one that conquered uh, Jerusalem, leveled it, and took the people captive to, into captivity to Babylon and parts of the kingdom. And then the Persians, the Medes and the Persians came and you know, killed his son and, and, and took over that kingdom. And they released the Jews to go back, and other peoples too, to their land. Well, they also went on to conquer Egypt and northern Ethiopia, which is, would be likely, Seba is likely Sudan or, or northern Ethiopia. And so it's sort of like, they, here he is, uh, almost 200 years before the event happened, Isaiah is calling it. He's saying, God is saying is telling them the future, so when the future arrives, they could be fortified and says, Our God called this, I will trust in him. This is why men like Daniel were Daniel. This is why men like Jeremiah and Ezekiel were Jeremiah and Ezekiel in captivity. God withheld protection from those kingdoms, but he did not. He preserved Israel. And in some senses, uh, these, these nations are there, but that's, the story's not over, and Ezekiel 38 talks about a new list, a final list of nations that will come against Israel and be defeated. And so by how God cares for Israel, we know he cares for the one who cares for Jesus. Paul applied these Old Testament lessons of God's care to New Testament believers. 1 Corinthians 10. Now all these things happen to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. You can't make it any more clear than that. He's saying all those Old Testament events of God and his people 
apply to us too. Of his love and care apply to us too. And who was us? Well, the church in the end of the age, which the, the, the end times began with the coming of Christ. With the coming of such technology as today, we have the end of the end. We have the last of the last days. We're on the precipice of these things. And as a new believer, I was so excited about the rapture. Now I'm more excited about saving souls. I'm just, I mean, I'm not going to opt out, <laughs> but I want to see people saved. Um, anyway, uh, there is a however that belongs to this. The role of the church is not identical to the role of Israel. Here's an example. And, you know, there are some similarities to bring light, of course, but there are other, there's other separating factors. Persecution of the Jews was due to the Jews being disobedient. Persecution of Christians is for us being obedient. We're, you know, 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, end quote. The special care for the nation of Israel has its proof in the history, past, present, and, of course, future. As I mentioned, gone are the Edomites, the Amalekites, the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Nazis, because of their treatment of Israel. And as I also mentioned, I say as I also mentioned, because it's not fun hearing a person repeat themselves, unless they put that disclaimer on it. So, okay, he's not going loony. Uh, Anyway, Ezekiel 38 gives us a list of nations arrayed against Israel that will be defeated. And then, and then there's more. I believe Ezekiel 38 is the battle that will bring Antichrist into power, and then there will be another uh, great war there of Armageddon led by Antichrist in Ezekiel 39. Not everybody agrees with that, but I've learned in humility to let people who disagree with me be wrong. Anyway, verse 5. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. I get goosebumps reading this because this is fulfilled prophecy. We're living at a time where God is doing this. Israel has an aggressive repatriation program. If you prove you be from any, anywhere in the world... If you can prove you have a Jew, Jewish ancestry, you're a citizen. You're back in. They want you to come back. Look how many Jews have come back when the Soviet Union collapsed. Look how many Jews they brought back. They packed them in airplanes and flew, flew them back from all over the world. We're living at a time. It goes beyond the repatriation after the Babylonian captivity and the, the Roman uh, conquest of Jerusalem. This is the final repatriation. No other country has this kind of history and written down with God's stamp on it to make us say, badmouth the Bible is a, bad, is a big mistake. It is not advisable. God wants his people assured. Otherwise, you're in perpetual uncertainty. Well, how can faith thrive? In that? This is one of the problems with those as well. You'll know if you're saved if you persevere. And in other words, you drop dead believing. Do I got to wait till then? Yep. Well, that's not blessed assurance. 
John 5, 1 John 5, 13. I've written these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. How could you, how could you be effective for Christ? Well, I'm going to wing it. I don't know if my landing gear is down, but let's try. Uh, I, I don't think that's necessary. I think it is a robust faith that knows what Christ has done and moves forward with a boldness that is otherwise absent. And that's why those who um, believe that they are saved, I think, are very evangelical. They're, they'll reach out and witness. Um, you know, you, in the back of your head, you're going to find, you don't like it next person. <laughs> There's got to be somebody that I can get saved. Mark chapter 13, and then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth and the farthest part of heaven. So ultimately there will be uh, an, another, a, a final one, but that one is outside of the, uh, that is in the great tribulation. The one that Isaiah has here in verse 5 and 6 is pre-great tribulation. And we're living it, as, as I mentioned. Isaiah 11 says the same, same thing. I, I'm not going to take the time to read it, but 11, 12 uh, because there's so much more to talk about here from this chapter, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. This is a powerful doctrinal statement. Uh, as a, a, a catechism of, uh, of, of, of doctrine, four verbs describe Israel's final gathering. Called, created, formed, and made, here in verse 7. Three of these words describe God's right to man. Makes him the divine prerogative. Whom I have created for my glory. That word created, in, at least in the New King James Version, which, which I prefer, um, is bara. And uh, this, this is the, the best idea. Or the, this is divine fiat. This is God willing something into existence, and it happening. This is God creating something out of nothing. Now, in the Hebrew, that word bara, it does not mean to create out of nothing. However, it is exclusive to God. It's, if, you, if, if you read about a potter creating something in the Bible, it's not that Hebrew word, bara. Only when it's talking about God. Because this is to create something from nothing. No, well, you've got to be divine to do that. Uh, so it is the distinct word uh, reserved for God. Genesis 1-7, thus God made, bara, or in the beginning God created, bara. He created from nothing. But that's not the whole story. Because God didn't just make things. He shaped them into what they would be used for, and then he uses them for what they were made to be used. And this is what this, the language here brings out. Because man is created for friendship with God. And uh, even after the fall, friendship and companionship is very possible. He says, I have created for my glory. There's the part about the companionship, the communion with God. The difference between companionship and communion for us as Christians is, one's got blood on it. You see, before Christ, companionship was available, uh, but the sins were, were covered by the rituals. 
sort of an IOU <laughs> God saying, you know, I owe you to deal with that because I choose to owe you to deal with that. Not that God is indebted. God cannot be indebted to man. Then comes Christ on the cross, and he washes away the sin. It, um, it is what everything was gearing up for. So many lessons in these things. But anyway, coming back to these Hebrew words here, I have formed him. Now, that Hebrew word formed, yatsa, means to fashion a thing that's already been made, as a potter would fashion something. In fact, uh, that word is used for a potter in Jeremiah 18. I'll come to that in a minute. Genesis 2.7, And Yahweh, God, Yatza, formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Well, if, if you got problems with Genesis 1, verse 1, if the first verse in the Bible is a problem to you, then everything else is going to be a problem. But if the first verse is like, he's God, I don't have a problem with that. Somebody did it. Why not him? He's got love. I'm going to buddy up with him. You see, but, but look at my life. I don't have much love in my life. You know, you can tell a, a, how much a person is in touch with the love of God by how they can sing to God, sight unseen. Not in every case, because again, sometimes I'm not in the mood to sing. Uh, when I, on Sunday morning, my head is so busy racing about, I want to say this, and I want to say that, like a, like a dog, a tail. Right? And, uh, but, but other times, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I've gotten it all together. I know where I'm going with this, and, and I can enjoy the song. So, uh, but anyhow, uh, yes, I have made him. Now, made there is another Hebrew word. Again, bara yatza, this one is asa, meaning uh, to make something from things that are already made. Uh, again, and I'll, I'll try to button that down in a minute. Jeremiah 18.4, this is Jeremiah was sent to the potter's house because he didn't know what God was doing. And God wanted him to understand, Jeremiah, I'm doing something. I know what I'm doing. I know where this is going. And maybe if you watch the potter work, you, you'll figure it out. And he did. And he wrote about it. And the vessel, as he's looking at the potter, he writes, he says, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he, the potter, made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. And that word potter is our first word formed, and the other one is made, something he did with something already made. So, men can make things from things formed by God but only God can create from nothing. God creates the clay, he shapes the clay, he uses the clay. I took that long trip through these Hebrew words. Just to, That's the point. He creates, he shapes, and he works with it. Creatorship is ownership, and ownership is lordship. I made you, I own you, and now I'm going to work it out with you. That's the ideal. And with creatorship comes the rights of lordship. And we love it. The righteous, look, everybody born gets brainwashed once they reach the cognitive age. The question is, who's doing it? It's either God or not. And that not is Satan. That's why the word Satan means the enemy, opposed to God. Anything God loves, Satan hates by default. And so brainwashing is part of life. Uh, so I, I'd rather be brainwashed than have my brains 
made uh, dirty, as we know Satan loves to do. Uh, You know, you want to say to humanity, grow up. Somebody's working behind the scenes. There is no way we're here on this planet alone. And don't give me the alien stuff, because that's a whole other story. I I don't believe it. Uh, you got a lot of questions. Anyway, verse 8. Bring out the blind people who have eyes and the deaf who have ears. So Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, doesn't let them get away. This generation, the ones that were unrighteous. He covered, he addressed these chaps back in chapter 42, verses 19 and 20. And uh, they have eyes, but they're not seeing what God is doing. They have ears, they're not hearing the voice of God. They don't want to, but God wants to fix this awful spiritual condition. And uh, he wants Israel restored, Romans eleven twenty six, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. He will have a generation that will listen, that will see, but it's going to be a bloodbath first. And uh, you say, why does God allow so much suffering? Why don't we allow God to have people in heaven who have not seen him before on earth love him? And why should God be cheated of that just because man fell into sin? And when man fell into sin, the consequences were, are severe. So when Adam and Eve sinned, God did not say, oh, this is going to be a mess. So let's do this again. And then they would have failed again. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, in my head, it's, it's fine. But when I suffer, I don't like it any more than anybody else. Knowing or understanding, at least to me, um, I'm satisfied with my understanding of what's going on with the universe based on Scripture. That doesn't mean I like it. But I also know it's worth it. And our word, worship and worthy, carry that meaning. That it's worth it. God is worth it. If he allowed this because of his character, it's got to be right. And when we get to heaven, it will be all laid out. I don't think there's going to be a question and answer session. I wouldn't even want to be part of that. Have you ever been a part of a question and answer and you say to someone, why does that person always ask that question? <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, verse 9. Let all the nations be gathered together. Let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, it is truth. So bring your other religious Bibles and tell us the prophecies you've got. Let's see what you've got. You've got nothing. Get Vinny from Brooklyn. What you got? You got nothing. Uh, You don't. Only the Bible has the prophecies. And so many of them. On so many topics. Just Christ alone. Just the Old Testament prophecies. Concerning the coming of Christ. And then what about the second coming of Christ? They're all over the place. So here is God. Peter says, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power of his coming. We were eyewitnesses of this stuff. And I really, Peter's kind of, I don't really appreciate you calling me a liar. (laughs) So uh, that's just the way it is. Who else can tell the future with absolute accuracy all the time? Only Yahweh. What nation has been the center of predictive prophecy? Israel. And who among them, he says, can declare this 
show us the former things. So God says, you know, it's unparalleled what I've done to Israel and what I'm saying about the future. Nobody else has got this. Let them bring out their witnesses. Uh, Yeah, without witnesses, they still scoff. Listen, if I were speaking to a room full of MIT, you know, they're supposed to be the real smart guys. Uh, if I was speaking to a room full of them, they would more than likely be scoffing at all of this. Yet I'd leave them in the dust when it came to the reality of it all. They might, you know, they'll do better at mathematics and other things than I can. But when it comes to God, again, I'll leave them in the dust. And I know it because I've got the written word, the more sure word of prophecy. And Paul felt this way when he witnessed before Felix, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. There's no boasting in myself for that. But there's boasting in God. If any man boasts, let him boast in this, that he knows the Lord. And it's, what am I going to say? God, you've, you've put your hand on my life, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm going to deny it. Uh, it's, it's not a boast. And it's true of you, too. If you stick by the facts, they have no defense for these things. Um, you know, the Ingersolls, they came along and took Darwinism, and they articulated it because Darwin couldn't. He wasn't that smart. Um, And they really pushed the evolution of the species forward, which is a disaster. But they cling to it nonetheless. And it is too bad that uh, there are people that will not listen to facts and truth when it comes to to God when they are otherwise ready to listen to facts and truth about other things. Um, if you were on an airplane and the wing fell off while well, you're still on the tarmac, and you say, "Hey, the wing fell off," and you look at the wing, look at that. Let's get out of here. You know, they would have no problem believing what they see with those kind of eyes. But when it comes to God, they won't reason it through. It's because they don't want it to be true. Well, let me finish here. That they may be justified. Or continues verse nine. Or let them hear and say it's truth. So God is saying, establish your conclusions based on. Fact, not feasibility. Sounds feasible. You can't put out fire with hot water. Sounds right. Fire is hot. You put hot water on it, it's got to make it hotter. But it's not right. It's a lie. First of all, the fire's gonna, water's going to turn to steam anyway when it hits the fire, if it gets there, if it's big enough fire. So, it, it, but it sounds, maybe it doesn't sound feasible to you. But it does to me. Like, uh, yeah, I can see where... Hot water can't put out fire, but it's a lie. Of course it can. I find those things interesting. Fruit flies don't taste like fruit. Now, that's a fact. Okay. So, so uh, I've got some more of those. It sounds feasible. Fifteen feet down in the, in the middle of the ocean, it's not salt water. It's all fresh. It sounds feasible. How would you even pull that off? I mean, how, like, is it oil and vinegar separating... Anyway, all right, back to this. Uh, As I mentioned, most unbelievers want the Bible to be untrue. And so they hide from honesty when it comes to Scripture. Acts 24, now as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Well, why was he afraid? Because he, he felt the truth. He didn't like it. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. But Agrippa did nothing with it. He was created. He was formed. But he couldn't make, he, he didn't follow through. 
That was it. He sat on the shelf. Verse 10. You are my witnesses, says Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Man, I love the authority of these words. That's why you read it out loud. It's, it's a part, it appeals to your, natu- uh, your, your spiritual senses. And your, your natural resistance just kind of moves out the way. He's referring to Israel. You are my witnesses. God's people are to call it like they see it. That's what helps make a faithful witness. And without exaggeration, without embellishment. We don't have to paint the gold of the gospel to make it appealing to people. It's an ultimatum. It's, it's not, you know, it, it's, it's easier to be entertained than it is to be educated. But that love of learning opens the path of knowledge. It opens up the door. And that is very much so the case with God. Our eyes are to see and our ears are to hear. Faithful Israel was to testify as a faithful witness on behalf of Yahweh before the nations. And they will in, in, the, Messian, in the kingdom age. They were to testify of his soul divinity, of his mighty acts, which incidentally, yes, the Jews today who, who are especially the Tel Aviv crowd, who care nothing for religion. Uh, they go through the rituals at holiday season, but that's just because it's you know cultural, uh, many of them. But, but you, you ask them, how did you get here to Israel as a people? Do you believe in the mighty acts that got you out of Egypt? You're supposed to testify of these things, of his revelation, his salvation, his eternity, and his power. That's what verses 10 through 13 are... Isaiah is bringing up, this was Israel's calling as a servant, to tell the world these things and to pursue them themselves. And to this day, you know, could you imagine a Jew taking you to Isaiah 43 and saying, let me tell you how great my God is. And he should be your God. But it's the Christians doing that. And our motive is not to, it better not be, to get, uh, to convince people to think like us, Our motive is not to get more people into a church. Our motive is to get people to heaven, God's way, according to the scriptures. Um, You know, this is evangelism is not, well, I'm saved. Too bad for you. Verse 11, I, even I am Yahweh and besides me, there is no savior. Mary is no co-redemptrix. And by the way, it's a sin to pray to the dead. Mark chapter 12, verse 32. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. Did you catch the pronoun alert? It's masculine, is it not? There is no other God but he. And of course, Mary, that co-redemptric status that Rome gives her, or at least tolerates, contradicts that. Luke 2.11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Titus 1.4, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. But it says there's no Savior but Yahweh. Well, Yahweh of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ of the New Testament. The Godhead is inseparable. Uh, God has designed it so that you know, the Holy Spirit is not to steal the thunder of the Son. Not that he, de- he deserves to be equal, because he is. 
but because people will mess that up. Look at the American Indians talking about the Great Spirit. That's all you got? You're just telling me there's a Great Spirit? What's he like? What irritates him? What finds favor? Where does he come from? What has he done? What is he going to do for my sin? What is he going to do for your sin? Uh, God is ingenious in his word at setting up the boundaries that we need to operate within and um, be very comfortable doing it. One day, the title, My Witnesses, will receive a fuller force than uh, in compared to when Isaiah spoke it. You're to be my witnesses, God says through Isaiah to the Jews. But then we come to the New Testament, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But again, to this day, Israel appears reluctant to share the faith. Verse 13, Indeed, before the day was, I am he, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? Uh, eternity passes included in this. I give them eternal life, Jesus said, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. You've got to love that. Hosea 13.4, There is no Savior besides me. And this, there's no contradiction in any of this. There's explanation. There is uh, revelation and there's light. I work, at the bottom of verse 13, I work and who will reverse it? Doctrinal attribute of God is indomitableness. You can't conquer him. Verse 14, thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer. There's that word goel again. The Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and Bring them all down as fugitives, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. Now, this is again a hundred years before Babylon becomes a world power. Right now, they're under the Assyrian uh, dominance. The connection to Jesus is inescapable. Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Criteria to be Redeemer holiness. So Jesus goes into the church, the synagogue, the equivalent of the church, the assembly. That's what it means. And there's a demon-possessed guy in the church. Uh, no surprise there. Some, some churches have him in the pulpits. Uh, Mark one twenty four tells us what the demon said when Jesus comes to church. <laughs> Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. You can't say that about Michael, the angel, or Gabriel, or Paul, or Moses. You're the Holy One of God. Not in this context. This is exclusive. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives. The Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. Now, the Babylonians are... Oh, probably most often referred to as Chaldeans. How'd they get that? Well, Chaldeans has to do with looking at the stars, at the occult. And it is an attest, uh, attest, it attests to their occultic infestation, which Alexander Hislop documents in his book, Two Babylons, which has been the target of, well, he didn't really write that. Yeah, consider who 
makes the, makes the charge. And so now you've got you know, the naysayers that his lops book, and he documents what he writes. So that's the part. If you're going to show me the proof, if his lop in his book is, is not accurate. Um, anyway, coming back, verse 15, I am Yahweh, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. Colossians 1.1, of course, talks about Christ. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. So we have this, um, everything is dovetailing uh, neatly into each other. Verse 16, thus says Yahweh, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. It should stop and say, uh, Matthew Moray is the one that discovered the shipping lanes that we still use to this day. At least he gets much of the credit for that. Came about when he was sick and his daughter was reading him scripture. And she read Psalm 8, 8, the fish of the sea that passed through the paths of the sea. And he had this conviction that if the Bible says there are, there are paths in the sea that are ideal for shipping, then they're there. And he, uh, there was this big shipping accident uh, outside of these shipping lanes, and, and he, he, he made a big discovery in 18, uh, about the 1850s, uh, thereabout. I think Sunday I mentioned Matthew Poole, the Puritan theologian pastor, was in the 1700s. It was actually the 1600s, just testing you. So, verse 17, who brings, that's the kind of stuff you drive, I'm driving home like, wait a minute, I don't think it was the 1700s. Quick, back to church, get everybody back in. (laughs) So, uh, 17, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise, they are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick, like you just put out a candle. This is Pharaoh's army. And so Isaiah is reminding them of their heritage, of what God has done for them. And again, you go to Tel Aviv, and as you know, Tel Aviv is Israel's version of I don't know San Francisco nightlife. I don't, now I don't know if there's any life in San Francisco. Zombies have taken over, but uh, uh, actually they're the ones running the city. <laughs> Dead men walking. It's just a, it's a shame. It's the capacity of man. For demonic, for demons, is illustrated when two thousand pigs couldn't hold the demons that one man had, what two men had. Anyway, back to this verse eighteen. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. So he says the past miracles—they're not extinct. God is going to do more things. This was Gideon's problem. Where are the miracles of our father, fathers that they all talked about? God doing this, and the angel could have said to him. Well, if you people learn how to obey, maybe you see some of that stuff. But he doesn't. He's too much the gentleman. And he just uh, like dismisses it and moves forward with Gideon. And Gideon becomes one of the miraculous workers in the Bible. Verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in a desert. Verse 20, the beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. Verse 21, this people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. So this moves on as... as want of the prophets into the messianic kingdom they blend all the time 
And you, all you have to do is find context and say, well, this is historical, so, historically so, but this one hasn't happened yet, not all of it. The Messianic kingdom uh, in sight here goes beyond Babylon and Rome and present history. When Israel is healed, uh, creation will benefit too. Verse 22, but you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me. So now God returns to uh, their guilt. Because it can't be swept under the rug. Uh, Jacob became uh, Israel because of a touch of God. Initially, uh, Jacob offered God only resistance. And that's illustrated in his wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And uh, he prolonged the struggle, which caused him to be injured by the angel. And he changed his walk. Well, when you come to Christ, your walk should change too. And the angel blessed Jacob, and he asked for a blessing. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. You can hear, you know, just, just desperation and exhaustion. He just wanted God to bless him, but he didn't know how to get there. And so with such advantages, more was expected from Israel. Um, but they felt God was a burden, and the fake gods were liberating and again, this is one of the reasons why Felix, the governor of Rome there in Caesarea, didn't want to hear any more because he enjoyed his sin. Amos chapter 8, we don't have time, but Amos chapter 8 goes into how the Jews, element of them, complained about the feast days and the offerings. And they didn't want the Sabbath. They wanted to sell things on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was in the way. And Amos calls them out on that. They hated Amos. He was from the south, and he went to the north and prophesied, and they told him to go back to the south, and uh, he kept prophesying, at least for some time. Verse 23, you have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. Well, the grain offerings were voluntary, most of them. Uh, they would put frankincense on them, Leviticus 2.1. Malachi talks about how they were bringing God the defective offerings. And then Malachi says, try that with your governor. Go take him. Go take him something defective. See what he does with you. But you don't have a problem doing that with me. Well, we find this in Christianity all the time. People will pull stunts that they would not allow in their own homes, from their own children, in the workplace. But they come to the church and they think they can pull it off. Um, you know, there are biz some business owners, you know, they wouldn't tolerate the things that they try to pull inside of a church. They'd fire people. Um, so it's the sinful nature that we have. And just because we come to Christ and uh, we are dead to our sins, our sins aren't dead to us. They're not cooperating is what, I, what I'm trying to say. Verse 24. Actually, I did say it. <laughs> you have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins, and you have weird me with your iniquities. In other words, God says, I see through your, your, your fake religion. I want inward truth. It's more important than outward ritual. Psalm 51, you desire truth in the inward parts. We have a single word for that in the English language, integrity. Malachi 1.13, you also say, Oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. 
And you bring the stolen, lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Oh, man. Why do people think they could just get away with things with God? Um, verse 25. I, because God's not real to them in the, in the truest sense of the word. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins as a nation and, as, and for those who repent. Only Yahweh, not the idols, deal with the worst thing that can happen to a human being. And that is sin. sin well, that's the worst thing that has happened to people. Sin. It's the worst thing about us. Without sin, there'd be no keys. There'd be no hospitals, cemeteries, uh, Tylenol. We wouldn't have, you like this one, health care. Uh, you know, you just, sin is the cause. And in heaven, these things will be gone. But right now, they're used by God to separate the sheep from the goats. Um, anyway, God did not delegate forgiveness and judgment of sin to angels. God suffered loss in the Garden of Eden with mankind, and he personally handled sin on Calvary, the place of the skull, Golgotha. Ephesians 2, but now Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You Gentiles that were on the other side of the wall, you're brought in. You Jews that were blocked out because of your sin, you're allowed in. First uh, Corinthians 6.20, for you have been bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's, which belongs to God, possessive. Um, the ownership, creator, uh, therefore owner, therefore Lord. He has every right to dictate to us. And uh, he doesn't have to love us, but he can't help himself. You could say it that way, I think, and because God is love. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. So God says, all right, come on, justify your, your sacrilege. Tell me why you think you can do this. Well, they can't. Verse 27, your first father sinned and your mediators have transgressed against me. Well, again, Israel is reminded that she has nothing to boast in herself. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Jesus, not by the will of men, not by blood. Um, this God's, God is the one that makes man fit to be with God. Man can't do that without God. Um, we all come from sinners. We are born sinners. We... we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It's our nature. It's, you cannot, it's like a dog. You know, you, I don't care how well you train him. You leave that piece of meat there long enough. He's going to crack. <laughs> he's going to go for it. Because that's his nature. Uh, just the other day, I'm walking through my garage door, and this wasp just, just stung me. Just because he didn't like the way I looked, I guess. That's his nature. You're too close. I'm stinging you. You can't change that. I'm still annoyed that I didn't kill him. Couldn't get him. Anyway, verse 28, Therefore I will... Well, what time is it? Let's finish this up. Therefore I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. I will give Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. So God says... This is a startling rebuke. So I've got to deal with this. i got to deal with you as a people for doing these things. You will be judged. And they were. 
But that's, not, of course, not the end of the story, and chapter 44 will continue it. Let's pray. Our Father, to you, uh, they're, what, are, what are they in eternity? They are marvelous, and we thank you for them. We pray you get us all home safely tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.